little girl appears on a TV screen. It is a commercial for Cascade dishwasher detergent. She says, okay, so my mom washes the dishes before she puts them in the dishwasher and they come out gross so she washes them again. So what does the dishwasher do? Good question. There are some other household things like that. I run things at my house, by the way. Clothes washer, dishwasher, vacuum cleaner, never mind. Have you ever been vacuuming, though, and run across one of those threads on a piece of rug, you know? It's not coming up. What do you do? Right? We've all been there. Liberty Mutual commercial, a mom and her daughter sitting on a bench near New York Harbor, and the daughter has just shared with her mother how she can save $700 by only paying for what you need. And the mom says, you know, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to put a reminder on my phone. So she reaches in her purse. She pulls out her phone. It's covered with sticky notes, and she writes a note to herself on one of those notes. It's funny because I think, and you've got some in your mind right now, that in our own lives we have a set of things like that, don't we? Things that we use for something other than how they're supposed to be used. Or things that we have that we don't use to their whole potential. What if, what if you were going through your walk of faith in Jesus Christ without really understanding what it means for you, without it being what it's really supposed to be in your life? What if you're like that lady in the Liberty Mutual commercial who sticks sticky notes to her smartphone because she doesn't understand that that is supposed to be something more than a clipboard? And what do you suppose people who are on the outside of life in Jesus, looking in, what do you suppose they are thinking when they see Christians that live like that with their faith? May well be that people who have no interest in faith in Jesus are there partly because they're watching followers of Jesus. You know, the ones who say, if that's what being a Christian looks like, include me out. Maybe all of us could stand to listen to what Paul wrote in the second half of Ephesians chapter 1. Let's get our Bibles open there. That's where we're going to be looking together this morning. And you may as well go ahead and just flop it open and plan on it being there. We're going to go back to it several times. I want to pick up where we left off last week in verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. Let's pause there for just a second. Paul, in prison. Constantly thanking God 
for these people who are going to receive this letter. Because their faith in Jesus is real. Because they are showing love for all the other Christians there. What does a Christian look like? Well, there's two pretty good descriptions. And Paul is pleased that they're doing a good job of that. That's great. But he had something greater in mind for them. So he opens up this section here talking about what he wants for them. And it's not something small. He is praying for these people. He is praying for something to happen to them. He is praying for them to have the spirit of revelation or a spirit of revelation. And whether that's the Holy Spirit specifically or a or a sense of being able to do something because of the Holy Spirit, either way, it's something from God. Do you see it? He is praying that they'll have that. He is praying uh, for something that they aren't going to naturally have. He is praying that they will have something that comes from God supernaturally, something more. It's founded in having a real knowledge of God, not just knowing about him. There are plenty of people who know about God, fewer who know him. And this isn't just about a head issue either. Do you see it? Hearts are involved too. He's praying that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. If you could look into your inner self, your heart, you would, and if you could imagine it having eyes, you would want its eyes to be wide open for what he is about to say. Everyone ready? You want to know this? Let's read on. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I hope you like things that come in three points because that's exactly how Paul wrote this. Paul just laid it out here. I'm going to call them three game changers today. Hope, riches, and power. Who doesn't want those things? The hope to which he has called us. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Really wrapping your head and your heart around any one of these things could change your life. Getting all three of them would be even greater. And that's why we need God's help to have the eyes of our heart open, wide open, to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And that's why we need to remember that we have been called to live life with an awareness that God has put us in this realm called the heavenly places. The good things we have in Jesus are game changers in life. Paul was praying these folks would get that. I want to pray for us right now that we'll do the same. Let's pray. Father, just as Paul says he continued to pray for the people reading this letter in the first century right now, I pray 
that you would help us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That you would open up the eyes of our hearts. That we, Father, would see these things so that our lives would be directed by them the way that you want them to be. Lord, there are so many things that could step in between us and this goal right now. Please help us to set them aside, to look at your word, to let it speak to us, to do its work and not return to you empty. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. The hope to which he has called you. You know, when we talk about being called and we talk about our calling, what are we speaking about? We're usually talking about something God has called us to do, isn't it? What is your calling? That's, well, God has something for you to do, and so you think of it in those terms. God wants something done, and that's your calling, and that's true, but that's not the only kind of calling we read about in Scripture. Calling is also an invitation. We have been called Paul says, to a certain hope. He wants us to understand what is the hope to which we have been called. It's kind of like people in a lifeboat saying to someone in the water, come here, come here, give us your hand, let us help you in. That kind of thing is a calling. Chapter 2, verse 12, Paul looks back into the lives of these people in Ephesus and says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And as they listen to these words, can you picture some of these people listening to those words from Paul are nodding their heads. That's right. That's where we were. It wasn't that long ago for most of them. And all around them, every day, they still see people living there in Ephesus next to them who were just like they were. It's true. They were without God. They were with no hope. They were a distance from Jesus Christ. They were alienated from the family of God, but not anymore. And just about the same time they're faced with some setback, they need to remember that they were moved from hopeless living to hope in Jesus, and that is a game changer in their life in a city that's full of fake hope. That's why Central Christian Church, by the way, has hope in our vision. Because some of you are leading, looking at these words and you're nodding your heads too. Because for some of you, yeah, it wasn't that long ago, that describes where I was. Because you remember what life before Jesus was like, but now hope what? lives here. Hope lives here. We introduced that renewed vision along with our Thrive Plan. And folks, if we really are going to thrive as a church family, every one of us is going to have to buy in to that vision. Is it true? Do you remember it? Do you speak it? Have you shared it with somebody? Hope lives here. Paul would have them and us today know what is the hope of our calling. Many of you are already aware, um, and I'm just going to put this in the midst of speaking today, that just a few days ago, Buzz Bloomster passed away. And I was 
in the hospital room with Inus and with other members of their family. And I got to tell you, that is always a sad scene. And it was sad there with them. But I want to tell you something about that scene. There was a game changer in the room also. There was something else there that day, and it was hope. The kind that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he says to those Christians, we want you to not be unaware so that you do not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. That was the game changer in the room. Romans 8, Paul says, not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Every setback that I feel in this physical body, and by the way, those increase as you mature, Every setback that I feel in this physical body is to me a reminder of my hope in Jesus Christ. Every time somebody who loves Jesus leaves this life, I remember our hope in Jesus Christ. Everything about this broken world that disappoints me points me back to this hope to which he has called us. Hope lives here. Do you believe it? We would do well to remember this game changer, the hope to which he has called us. Here's the second one. That is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We already touched on this last week. We are his inheritance. He gets us. Granted, we have a wonderful reward in Jesus, don't we? But the language here is clear. At least where it's speaking here, we are his inheritance. That means we need to give some thought to what Jesus is worth in our eyes. And here's what I mean by that. When an inheritance is left to somebody in, in a will or something like that, it is often a reflection of what they think of the person who's going to receive it. Have you noticed that? And people convey a message sometimes in their wills. For instance, it's not always positive. Philip, 5th Earl of Pembroke, he died in the 17th century. He wrote this in his will, leaving something to Oliver Cromwell. I quote, I give to the Lieutenant General Cromwell one of my words, the which he must want, seeing as he hath never kept any of his own. Ouch. Jack Benny, the uh, famous comedian, died in 1974, and his widow, Mary Livingston, wrote in a magazine not long after his death, every day since Jack has gone, the florist has delivered one long-stemmed red rose to my home. I learned Jack actually had included a provision for the flowers in his will, one red rose to be delivered to me every day for the rest of my life. Oh. That said something about what she meant to him, didn't it? There was a German author in the 1800s, a poet named Heinrich Heine, who left his entire estate to his wife, Eugenie, when he died. The only caveat was that she had to remarry. Here's what he said about that. That way, there will be at least one man to regret my death. 
Not everybody's inheritance is meant to be a message of love, is it? We should consider, Paul says, the riches of Jesus' inheritance in the saints. That's his followers, then and now. If you are in Christ, you are the riches in this line. You are his glorious inheritance. Let me tell you this morning, if you struggle with feelings of self-worth, this is the cure. When you belong to Jesus Christ, you are his inheritance, his glorious inheritance. The kind of person you are is the kind of inheritance that you're leaving for him. Jesus gave himself for you with that in mind. Chapter 5, verse 27 of this book, here's what it says. He gave himself so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's talking about what Jesus gets in us. This should be a game changer in our lives. It should shape how we value people in general, and it should affect the way that we live. Amen? His glorious inheritance in the saints. That's the second game changer. Here's the third one. It has the potential, I think, to be the biggest one. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I want to start again in verse 19. I want to read this, and I want you to listen to two things, the words about power and the words about all-inclusiveness, all right? Verse 19 wants you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Boy, in the original language, just starting there in verse 19, you can see that Paul was really drawing from some word resources to try to begin to describe the power of God. Several of the words that occur here are words that we find then later in our English language. Words like hyper and mega and dynamite and energy and the word cratic, you know, democratic, autocratic, that means to rule. How much power are we talking about here? I'm glad you asked that. Look there. The one that raised Jesus from the dead. That kind of power. I'm pretty amazed at medical advances. I've seen some pretty amazing things in the world of medicine. Getting to visit people and talk to people about what's been accomplished for them. But I've never seen someone dead in a tomb and then raised on the third day. Read on. And this goes beyond physical resurrection. It is also about Jesus being raised into, where does it say? The heavenly places. To the right hand of God, his rightful seat, returning there over every spiritual power that exists in the heavenly realm. Beyond time, over his church, filling everything always. 
So what? Here's what. That power is in us. It's not just pointed toward us. It's not just alongside us. Paul describes it as power that works in us and through us. When I go to a website or to the auto parts store and I need to get something for my car, the one I drive, one of the questions that I have to answer, you know, they ask about the model and the year and stuff like that. They'll ask me, well, uh, what engine, which engine does it have? Because it turns out that this car I'm driving, Toyota Camry, this is not a commercial. And by the way, I'm very appreciative of my car. Please don't get the wrong impression. I am. That's been reliable. But the Toyota Camry was built with a four-cylinder and a six-cylinder engine. Now, mine's the four. That's supposed to mean you get better gas mileage. And I really have learned over years now driving it that I think the reason you get better gas mileage is because you would not dare try to accelerate and go around some people at certain times. <laughs> You'd be taking your life in your hands. I mean, you're driving along and, and you're going to pass somebody and you step on the accelerator and the engine goes, oh, did you want to go faster? It's like that. So if the space for the wind-up engine isn't big enough to get around the car that's driving far too slow in front of you, if that space isn't big enough, you hesitate or you don't even try it. It's not worth the risk. If a heavy load needs to be towed, you might want to talk to your friend that has the bigger vehicle, not mine. <clears throat> you hear the point, right? If we're facing some situation in life and we're approaching that convinced that what we have is the four-cylinder engine, then we're going to hesitate or just not try. God called Moses to go to Egypt. By the way, he called him to go back to Egypt and go there to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Moses didn't realize that the power of God was what was going to be working through him and with him as he went to do that. So what did Moses do? He hesitated. He started making excuses right away. And God showed Moses power and talked to him about how he would give him power and would be there to use him and show God's power. It was God who was going to be doing the heavy lifting. That's what Moses needed to hear. Let me tell you, when God calls you to take on some situation that he is challenging you to take up for him, or when you are just tossed into some situation that you didn't ask for, and it's beyond yourself, how do you handle it? I can tell you this. The answer, the answer depends on if you're relying on the immeasurable power of God Almighty or if you're trying to work based on your own economy size strength. Why think about this? Well, because the things that we choose to do and especially the things that we choose not to do are going to be decided by where we expect to get our power to do them. Did you hear that? We're going to make decisions in life based on how powerful we think we can be in that situation. 
how we're going to live our lives. It's that broad. Your vocation, your finances, your marriage and other relationships. And it impacts the church. Paul's going to get to the end of this section. Ephesians 1 through 3 is like the first section of the letter, and then 4 through 6 is numbers, number 2. But right at the end of chapter 3, he gets to the end and he says to them, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to what? The power at work within us. If you trusted that that power would be there when you needed it, what would you be willing to attempt? How would you approach life? To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So Paul would ask this morning, would ask God for those people, and I have asked for us today, that God would open up the eyes of our heart, that he would give us a spirit of enlightenment in the full knowledge of him to understand the immeasurable power that he has to work through us. Right now, more than ever before, the world is looking at lithium. Let's talk about lithium for a minute. Can we do that? It's one of the interesting elements here on Earth. And by the way, it's important because lithium is the major component of what's called a lithium-ion battery. You may not realize it, but your life is pretty dependent now on lithium-ion batteries. And it's going to increase that way. You might have noticed that batteries are becoming an even major, more major source of energy. That is making lithium become an element that is very much in demand. It's even got a new nickname. They call it white gold. Whoever has it will have a certain amount of control in the geopolitical scene. And until recently, it looked like the United States was somewhere down on the list of countries that had available lithium for us. That means to meet the demands, we would have to depend on other countries. We'd be at their mercy a little bit. We don't like that. We're Americans. But you know what? A recent discovery showed that the world's, probably the world's largest lithium deposit is lying somewhere along the border between Oregon and Nevada, enough to easily triple at least triple the amount available to us and maybe meet the projected need for a century. In other words, it may well be a game changer. The power may be right at our feet. And what we need to do is figure out a way to use it. Is that you this morning? When it comes to these game changers that we have in Jesus Christ... So I'm going to pray for us again. I'm going to pray that the Lord would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in the knowledge of him and so that we would have these things solidly working in our lives. That means if you're already a follower of Jesus, I am praying for you this morning that you would not be like the lady who writes on post-it notes stuck to her phone when it comes to your faith. 
And if you're somebody who is looking from the outside in, I am praying for you this morning that you would get just a glimpse of these game changers that God has for you when you accept his son as Lord in your life and choose to follow him. If that's the choice you're making this morning, I hope that you'll make it known. I hope that you will catch me after we dismiss here from services today and that you'll uh, talk to us about how to become a follower of Christ. Maybe this morning you're somebody who is, is just needing someone to pray with you, someone to come alongside you and, and to pray out loud with you about this being at work in your life. This is a good time for that, right after we dismiss from here today. I'm going to have this prayer for us. Let's stand up together and let's pray together that God would do this work in our lives. Precious Father, thank you that you have just spelled out in very clear language to us these good things that you prepared for us and that you want into our lives work that uh, you seek to accomplish through your people if we would just let you be the one in charge. So, Father, my prayer again for us today is that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you would have the eyes of our hearts be enlightened so that we could know these things so that we could know the hope that you've called us to, so that we could at least, Father, uh, begin to appreciate what it means to be Jesus' inheritance, that we could at least scratch the surface of understanding the immeasurable greatness of your power, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the power that we are counting on one day to live forever, but the power that is also today to be at work in our lives. Father, impress these things upon us, please. Help us to remember them. And right now, help us to make choices that will honor you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.